Hey guys, this is Billy with King Oil & Co. This is Sam Ace Things with Sam Sauce. And thanks for listening to Spill the Sauce Podcast. Alright, Sam. This week's episode, I'll do the intro for. That's what I was waiting for. This is your turn. So, this one's very exciting, man. So, of course, me being from the Bay Area, San Francisco, shout out to the San Francisco Bay Area. This was a hot sauce that, to me at least, was like one of the OG ones around. I know, like, I've always told you, like, I felt the OG sauces were like the Gutinos, the Poor Pepper Devil Company, these places that have been around, you know, before this whole small batch project thing was really like a big thing, like it is now. They've been doing it for like, I don't know, 10 plus years. He's been doing it for way longer. But, you know, he's, he's a big name in the Bay Area. Like, I know that. Some taquerias even have him on the tables. A buddy of mine told me about it like a long time ago when I was out in Oakland. Um, he's one of those farmer market killers, just crushes the markets all the time. Usually him by himself, too, I believe. Not like a big team. And he was on the Hot Ones very, very early on. It tells you a lot about the selection. So, without further ado... Let's let in Scott with Lucky Dog Hot Sauce. Big dog coming in, man. Great to have you, yeah, Scott. Yeah, the logo is super, on, super cool. How it's you doing, buddy? Thanks for joining logo. us, man. There we go. I have a face. Look yeah. at that. <laughs> How about that? There we go, man. Again, man, thank you for joining us. We're totally, totally hyped and stoked for you to be here. Oh, uh, my pleasure. I was just saying before you came in, I'm from the Bay Area, so like the name Lucky Dog to me is like been around, like it's been a thing. I know a bunch of like my friends in the industry always told me about it. Uh, I've seen you at the farmer market like a bunch of times, so super super cool for you to be on, man. Um, welcome, thanks for being on. So, Thank you, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Totally, dude. I mean, I guess we'll always take it right from the beginning, like we do with all of our guests. So take us back, man. Like, why hot sauce? What's this crazy obsession you have with hot foods or spicy peppers? And it goes all the way back to when I was a little kid. I have an older brother, and he and I go to go to like eating adventures with my dad on the weekends. And we go to Szechuan, or we go to Indian, or we go to Thai or Vietnamese or Laotian. You name it, we went to it. And every one of them had some kind of spicy thing, right? Like curries and hot and table sauces, things they whip up in the back and bring out, or the stuff in the squeeze bottles, and you don't know what it is, but it's hot and it's delicious. And you know, some of the dishes that have hot chilies in them, the Chinese firecracker chilies, and my older brother would be daring me to eat one, and I'd be daring him <laughs> to eat one. And after a while, it wasn't a dare. I was like, damn, this shit's delicious. So just started loving fiery food, and that was kind of my whole life. And when I was, uh, hang on, my dog was getting all crazy. One, no worries. One, Do your thing, dude. Oh, shut up. Hey, stop. Hey, we have a lot of dog. Yeah, um, your bed. Fun excitements around here. Oh, I know. I had to, I had to I mean, take my Holy shit. So here's the thing. The dogs feel like the bed is like the WWE room where they can take each other down and there's no, like, they don't get hurt, right? So they get all loud and rally. It sounds like they're killing each other and all they're doing is fucking out my bed. So I had to put the kibosh on that. No, I need my sheets clean. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, chill. So, uh, yeah, I was always the guy that if you went on vacation and I was watching your house for you, you wouldn't bring me back a shot glass. You'd bring me back a bottle of hot sauce from wherever you went, right? And, uh, over the years, I got a pretty good collection going, and I just got obsessed with flavor and fire. And this was, you know, 17 years ago when I started making sauce, that all the big extract companies were kind of blowing up, uh, Dave's and Blair's and Black Widow and uh, all the other ones that just are mostly extract. Now, some of them have changed Dave's as Dave's Gourmet and no extract. 
in their sauce. But uh, it drove me nuts that all there was back then was stupid, stupid hot sauce that tasted like metallic ass to me. They tasted yeah. terrible. That extract is all I taste. Or really mild stuff that just made me think, oh, I wish it says habanero. If they, what, they wave it over the vat. Where, where's the habanero? <laughs> and so I started playing with sauce at home and, you know, made terrible, terrible things for a couple of years. Over the years, got better and better at it after, <clears throat> excuse me, six or seven years, I had friends who said, hey, you should sell this shit. And friends of theirs would come to me, hey, you should sell this shit. And store owners and chefs and people that kind of knew what they were talking about. And so I thought, well, how hard could it be? You know, I'll, I'll start a hot sauce company. And it turned out to be pretty hard. And so uh, I did that for uh, six months while I worked my day job still at Kaiser. I was a project manager and I was working I was 70, 80 hours a week for Kaiser and two days a week on Saturday and Sunday for myself doing markets and won a couple of big national awards and thought, well, you know, I'm not going to get any bigger at this just doing weekends. So I might have to jump out from the job and see what I can do full time. And so I did and uh, cashed out my 401k and, and crossed my fingers. And, and uh, it was a tough couple of years for sure. Uh, I was broke as a joke and, you know, I'm not living in a mansion right now, but I'm eating and I'm not worried too much about, about paying the bills these days. I'm, I'm okay. I'm stable, but there were a number of years where it was pretty crazy and, and I wasn't sure I'd make it. That's so awesome. man! like, I, I love a good story like that. Always, you know, for me, you mentioned one thing that kind of always like drew me closer to the brand. It was kind of like the, cause I remember when I had the sauce and you go out, like you go do your research, you go look it up and then you see like, Oh, like they've got awards or like, like it kind of gives it like that verified quote unquote feeling. So it's always like, does that like satisfaction of having a good product did that kick in at that point? Or were you always just, like, when did you know like you had something there? Well, I kind of felt like I had something in 24, I launched in 2012. I won a couple of big awards. I won in Texas a couple of years. I won a couple of Scobies in New Mexico. And there you're going up against the best of the best. And if you can win even a second or third place there, it feels like a big achievement. Mm -hmm. uh, the biggest win was in the first couple of years of the farmer's markets when I was tiny and, you know, broke and people would come back every week and buy more. Right. And that's, better than any award there could be is that the customer came back and they not only thought it was a good value to buy it, but they liked it and they used it and it didn't just sit on their shelf and die. They used it again and again and again. And I have customers that have been with me for 10 years now. I, I launched in 2012 and I'm nine and a half years in and they're still coming back to the farmer's markets every week. And that's, that's the sure sign that you're kind of doing, feeling like you're doing something right is when you get those people on board and they, they spread the word to their friends and oh, so-and-so sent me to the market and I had to try it. And, then they send their friends and they send their friends and it just keeps piling up on top of itself where that floor keeps rising at the farmer's market every week and you get a little following. Uh, but the biggest was probably in 2014 at New York Hot Sauce Expo because that was like the craziest event. I was my first big show. I, uh, before the pandemic, I was doing seven or eight festivals a year, but New York Hot Sauce Expo, going to New York for one, New York's big. And then it was at uh, the Hotel Pennsylvania right across from uh, Madison Square Garden where the Final Four was being played. And it was just an insane show because people would pile out of the Final Four and drunk as shit, come over to the fiery food <laughs> festival, the Hot Sauce Expo. And we were in a building, a ballroom in Hotel Pennsylvania. And it was, I think it fit like 7,000. And it was packed with like 11,000 people. It was shoulder to shoulder craziness. And people were hammered and puking in garbage cans and just eating stupid hot shit everywhere. And that is a crowd that is one, very discerning of their food Two, drunk as shit. Three, not shy about telling you if they thought it sucked. So I would hear from a couple of people, Oh, this isn't hot for shit. Yeah. That's not what I do. I'm more into the, into the flavor. All right, well go over to see him. But most of the people, 
The majority of the people there, the feedback was tremendous. I sold out with three three hours to go on the second day. Ooh. So I could have brought 30% more sauce and sold that out too. And and that was the real, that was when I thought, all right, well, this is some of the best makers in the country and, and I sold out before they did. So maybe I got some here, but you know, it was a fun festival. I'm not sure I made a dollar on it. The hotel was expensive, food was expensive, <laughs> airfare was expensive, and I should have pallet out. But man, was it a good feeling to go out to New York and just kick ass on the biggest stage in the industry. That felt good. That's, that's awesome, man. Like, let's say your other festival, like Albuquerque, you've been to those, or other festivals nationwide. I mean, is New York, is that like your pinnacle? Is that your favorite one to attend every year, if you're able? If I'm able. I'm, I've only been able to twice now. Uh, I do Albuquerque every year. And to me, Albuquerque's kind of a, it's a bigger show. There's more vendors at that show. It's a, a bigger venue and you get a lot of wholesale customers. They have a couple hours before. Sorry, sorry if all you hear is my Very dogs good. playing grab ass. It's ridiculous in here. <laughs> uh, a couple hours before we start every day, it's just open to trade. So wholesalers come in from Colorado, from Texas, from a few other places. And since I drive there, I always have a ton of sauce with me. And then I hook up a couple of the sauce makers there and I bring sauce back in my band that hopefully is a little more empty, uh, fill it up with a bunch of other company stuff and bring it back to heat hot sauce shop in, uh, now they're in San Leandro. Uh, and so I don't charge people for that. It's just an easy way to get product that I think is really good product back to the Dylan and Dylan sells it online and I don't make a penny on it, but kind of high water floats all ships kind of philosophy, you know? So I figure some are taken away from me and bring it back to their stores. I can take some <laughs> them, bring it back to my local stores, you know? Yes, man. Well, looking forward to it. I will be seeing you at Albuquerque with a bunch of my other little small batch dudes. Nice. It's our first big event. We're fucking terrified. We don't know what the hell to expect. Um, we don't want to bring too much. We don't want to necessarily rent a large vehicle or ship a big pallet. If we can just shove it in our cars. But the idea of selling out would be a great thing. But the idea of going to all this... Uh, fees of like renting a larger vehicle or shipping so much more than you would ever need and to bring it back with you is is almost worse i think so we just we don't know we're gonna have fun though it's tough to know what to expect from a festival and especially that one what i the metric i always tell people is i get asked that a lot is this is my first year what should we bring blah 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 especially people that are shipping a pallet out because like i'm lucky i have 10 or 12 stores that are gonna buy wholesale from me so no matter what i've got some good sales already uh but then you know i also don't want to bring back a full band full of sauce right that's bad gas mod but at the same time i figured anything i do at the event is great because it's marketing because you're turning on new people new people come to the show every year i've got the regulars now that for six years have been coming and buying from me and supporting i won a grand prize there a couple years ago so i always bring extras of that one of the ones that i hang the banners up for those i bring extras for because that's the one event where people say oh what'd you win the scoby for and then okay i'll take one of those oh you don't want to try it no i just know it's good because i want a scoby <laughs> right dude. the customers know what's up at that show they know that the awards are representative of quality products and then they're going to go around and try a lot of products too. And they're going to be discerning and they're going to buy what they like. And it doesn't matter if you're big or small or whatever. When I first year there, I was terrified. I, I think it's K. John Hart's three booths away from me. Jesus Christ. He's got, he's got a 30 foot booth with the executioner station and 70 people in front of him all day long. And you know, some of that trickled over to me and then some more and more and year over year. Now I've it's got like one a guy crowd just all the time now too. So, you know, like walk around, get wide eyed, get, you know, be, be, use that nervous energy to help you stay focused uh, i would say if you do a lo like a local farmer's market now take the amount of sales you would do in one day there and 
double or triple it and then multiply that by three days and that's about what you'll need because it's basically you know take the hours involving if you do a four-hour farmer's market and it's a eight-hour first day you know you can do about double that and then the next two days you'll do about triple that roughly now that's a generic if your sauce sucks you're not going to sell that much of it obviously i'm not guaranteeing you're going to triple your market sales i'm just saying i'll be coming together you said you said that's what i'm always afraid of i don't want that but uh you can be it's pretty safe i wouldn't rent a giant truck i think if you're going with a couple vehicles you know as long as one of them is a station wagon or something you can hold enough product um i don't know how many varieties you have but I That's one other thing. Like, how many varieties do you think do you bring to one of those things? Obviously, you I have everything. Yeah, he has a ton. I mean, you have a ton. So you're bringing like it's like a couple hundred cases. Yeah. Like, or how many different varieties again? So I have ten varieties that I can ten varieties. How do I? I have ten on my website. I have nine of those that I sell wholesale. Then I have three other varieties that I sell that I make sauce for. I make an exclusive for for Fuego Box. And I make two exclusives for Hedonist. I make the the white label cherry chipotle for Fuego Box, and then I bring the black label special reserve, uh, which is a hotter version of my black label. I bring that 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 one I make for Hedonist, and then the new one that just came out this month in their box is Chrome, and that's a mandarin orange red Savina habanero with Drake's fifteen hundred dry hop pale ale, New Mexico red chili, horseradish, and cooking bottle roasted garlic, and that just went out in the box this month. So I'll bring that one too. I always bring the ones that I don't have online and that you can't get in stores because those are always the best sellers because either that or they got to order them from those other, from Hedonist and Fuego Box, which hopefully they'll do after they buy them from me, right? That's the, <laughs> the circle of life. But uh, those are always good sellers at festivals because they're sort of exclusive exclusive for the festival. You know, you can't get this anywhere else. So it builds- That's that you're bringing that many of a selection because yeah. I imagine if people are unfamiliar with your brand, I mean, are they just picking up bottles or do you have an individual to discuss? I am the individual. I, you're talking to my entire company right now. So until, until awesome. I train one of these knucklehead dogs to do a presentation, I'm it. Hey, so uh, typically, typically a, a gal, a local girl named Kat does uh, uh, the Albuquerque Festival with me. I just flew her out here to do uh, the Alameda County Fair for 10 days because she kicks that much ass that I flew her out to, to work for me out here. Uh, yeah. I've tried doing that event with temps and they just, they're terrible and they're not good with people and yeah. they'll steal from you and they'll fuck up your inventory. And yeah, I just hire somebody I know. So she'll work for me again, hopefully in February, March. Uh, and so it'll just be the two of us and I'll have her doing shirt sales and restocking the front. And once a demo's done, I'll pass them around the corner and she can sell them sauce while I start up another demo. And I'm just out there working the front of the booth all day for three days, every minute of the day. It's rare. If I, if I have to piss, I'll leave my booth. If I need a beer, I'll send somebody for a beer. So <laughs> it's very rare that I'll leave my booth. First day is great for that because the first day is kind of slow during before people get off work, like three o'clock, four o'clock. It's usually pretty dead in there. I'll hang out, with, go say hi, give hugs and say hey to all the vendors and whatever that I know and meet new ones and try stuff. But uh, for most of the time, when there's people in there, I'm working dead center front of my booth because nobody sells my sauce like I do. And I'm taking three days off. I might as well make some money doing it, right? I remember working a festival once, California Hot Sauce Expo. And this was in my third or fourth year. And uh, we had a neighbor. Uh, I won't say their name because I, I can't really remember it, to be honest with you. But uh, they, they sold salsa. It was, it was good salsa. No, no, no issue with their products. Their salsa was killer. But their idea of selling salsa at this festival was to put a platter in front with like Dixie cups in it with a little bit of salsa and a chip in each Dixie cup while they sat in the back of their booth drinking beer and playing music and one had a guitar and they're like just ignoring everybody and 
Meanwhile, I have one of the best events I've ever had in my life. I sold gangbusters for both days of the festival. And at the end of the second day, they're like complaining, oh, what a dead festival. I can't, we didn't make any money. I'm like, well, no shit, dude. All you did was catch, only thing you did was catch a buzz and fucking play music. I'd save my time for drinking for after the event. You know, I'll, I'll go get turn, turned up after the event. Sure. I got, I'll get an Uber and, you know, drink five or six beers, but I'll wait till I'm done with the customers first. So, yeah. you know, the, the festival is sort of what you make it right. And it's, I know Albuquerque is a great festival. I know the people are a fiery crowd. It's really good the way they set it up. Like some of the hot sauce festivals, you're next to, you, there's 20 hot sauce companies, right? And that's it. And Albuquerque, it's hot sauce. And then it's going to be like a, a hot miso product and then spicy baked goods. And then you're going to have, you know, the discount companies over here and you've got somebody selling like green chili marinade and a hatch chili roaster next to them who's selling you the apparatus to roast. And so it's good because you have that sort of, in landscaping, they call it discovery, right? Like you walk into a garden and you want to be able to see something like a specimen tree over in the distance. And <clears throat> the path should sort of steer you around to where you get another little tree, but oh, look, you found some other stuff because the path took you there and you found this stuff. And then by the time you get to the tree, you've seen the whole garden and that's an intelligently designed landscape. Well, it's the same thing with a good show where they sprinkle in different things and the customer doesn't get tasting burnout from going sauce to sauce to sauce to sauce to sauce. And they get to your booth and you're like, I want to try these 13 sauces. They're like, fuck no, I need a beer. I'm on fire, you know? <laughs> so they break it up enough that, uh, that it makes a compelling event for everybody and everybody does really well. And, you know, you've got your barbecue companies, your spice rubs and whatever. And most of it is fiery, but a lot of companies have stuff that isn't either. Uh, and it's just a good enough diversity of product that it keeps it from, you know, if somebody goes there with a budget, say, for they're going to buy 10 hot sauces and a couple of barbecue sauces, it's not going to eliminate you from the picture just because they've never heard of you. You'll fit in because the, there's so much other stuff for them to look at and buy. So I think there's only maybe, I don't know, 30 companies for hot sauce there out of 50 or 60 companies that show up. So yeah, really so good. Really, just if that doesn't sell it enough for you, there are still available booths at the Fiery Food Fest in Albuquerque. I'm just Scott saying, Scott. Scott seems like a cool guy. I'm all right. You might want to come hang out. Yeah, I'm sure there are. I, I'm paid up from two years ago, so I'm I'm not really flying free this year. But it's money spent, so it kind of feels like it. Feels like hey, whatever I do, free ride, right on. All you because what last year's COVID that put COVID the kibosh. Yeah, the event got canceled last year, so no. My county fair got canceled. I lost California Hot Sauce Expo, Portland Hot Sauce Expo. Uh, New York got canceled. I was thinking about doing New York last year. Uh, my county fair is 18, 12-hour days, so that's a tough one for me to lose. It's 20 minutes away, and it's like 50. I think so we have 500,000 people come through a year at that festival, so uh, I missed the, the fair a lot. That, that was tough. Which, Are which, you taking a chill? Which, chill? which fair is that one, Alameda? Alameda and Pleasanton. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a huge one too. Those are always really, really fun. I'm curious, yeah. what, like, like, what's the process like of handling like nine or like you know like ten, eleven different sauces, man? Because that's like a, I mean, that's intense or that's insane to be like you know just handle that many type of different products just on your own. Well, it's just you know I know the product like the back of my hand because I created them, so that helps. <laughs> or selling somebody else's stuff, like I'm a car salesman and I'm trying to sell you ten models of Acura. I'd fall on my fucking face. One, I don't give a shit about Acuras. And two, you know, I just hate selling things. But I don't mind talking about my sauces. I made them. It was always a process that I went through. I always had pairings in mind. I always had, I found a flavor or a thing or a 
had an idea for something. The Drake's sauce, for example, the one for Hedonist this month, I was sitting on my couch drinking a Drake's 1500 and I thought, yeah, I love the citrus notes of this beer. I bet that'd be good with like a citrusy pepper, like a habanero. I bet that'd be good with like, you know, some mandarin, get a little more, you know, sweet citrus in there. And then, ooh, I always wanted to work with horseradish. And then that was it. I started making that sauce the next day. That was sort of, you get struck by inspiration and you can't, it's like an itch you can't really scratch and you just got to go in the kitchen and fuck around until you get it right. And then you make something terrible and you chip away at it till it's good, you know? like the sculptor that's got the stone block and he's trying to make it look like you. And so he chips away everything that doesn't look like you. And then it looks like you. That's the same with making a pot. You put a bunch of shit in a pot and some of it works and some of it doesn't. And you sort of do another recipe and chip away a little bit of what doesn't work and chip away and chip away. And after a while you chip away enough and you get to where it's either that or you get to a point where you're like, fuck, it's never going to work. And then you scrap it and try something else. You know, do you have much culinary background before venturing into making hot sauces. Uh, not a whole lot. I, I like to cook. Both my parents cook and I'm a pretty decent barbecue guy, grill guy. I'm a, I'm a decent cook. I can bake. I can do if I can follow a recipe, but no, not a whole lot. Well, this so is like I a good trial process then for you. I mean, you tried, you, you obviously probably had favorite hot sauces in mind or flavor profiles you wanted to achieve. And you just, like you said, you're just chipping away at the do's, the don'ts, the pros, the cons, and just kind of going until you finish with, Hey, I like this. People are going to fucking like it too. Yeah, I started with, uh, I actually, you know, it's funny, the internet did exist when I started this only 17 years ago. We had, I'm not that fucking old, we had technology, <laughs> back. but you know, it was still like AOL and dial-up browsers, you know, it wasn't that, wasn't that long ago. Um, but if I were clever, which I usually try to be clever, I would have Googled like recipes, right? Or found the hotpepper.com at first, because they have a couple forums that are dedicated to one fermenting, two uh, pasteurizing and you know, talking about basic safety topics and things like that, but they also have basic recipes, but I didn't do that. I Googled like the safety first. So I Googled, you know, what the pasteurization process is and how high of a temperature do you cook and for how long to make a safe product. Cause I don't want to kill anybody, you know, especially not myself. I'm making sauce at home and I'm, it's a hobby. I want to know what pH I have to refrigerate at or what pH it can be stable on my counter at. Uh, and then I started looking at things like, you know, safety things like hot fill and, and packing temperatures for hot fill and basic, basic canning process kinds of stuff. And then I started working with, and then I knew the acid level, the pH needed to be somewhere around uh, 3.3, 3.4 to be pretty stable. And you could do higher stuff if it was going to be refrigerated always. And when I first started, I had no inkling of starting a company. I didn't even think about starting a company for six and a half years, but the seven that I was a hobbyist, I was just still doing it for fun all the time. Uh, and so by doing it that way, I started a completely backwards way of doing it. I was like, oh, I love roasted peppers and I love roasted garlic. And there are no sauces right now with roasted pepper or garlic. Fuck it. I'm going to let my barbecue. And I bought some barbecue saute pans and I was grilling peppers and garlic on my barbecue and then using various kinds of vinegars and, and acids to figure out how to acidify those peppers and garlic flavors. And then using spices that I loved in hot sauce along with them. And it probably took me close to two or two and a half years to come up with Red Label. That's my original recipe, and it's it's still in my lineup to this day, and it's a, it's a pretty good seller. But uh, it was a really weird way to start, and I made sauce that is completely different than what everybody else makes because I didn't look up recipes. I just sort of trial and errored it and fucked around and wasted a lot of money on ingredients, but I didn't care. All I was doing at first was trying to kind of detox from my stressful day job. I had As a PM, I had concurrent <clears throat> projects and million-dollar equipment purchases and 20 bosses on everything I worked on. And my boss was a total A type a hole. And it was just uh, every night I would go to bed tossing and turning because 
Did some email get sent? Did, did what so-and-so get invited to a meeting? Is this deliverable going to be ready on time? Oh, God, I have a meeting with the DEA on Monday, meeting with the FDA on Tuesday. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So uh, sleeping two hours a night takes a toll on you after a while. And, and making sauce was kind of my zen. That was my therapy. Is I, I, when I was making sauce, I wasn't thinking about anything else. And that was a huge win of starting this as a hobby is that I completely, like all the stress fell away and I slept like a baby for at least two days a week because I was on the weekends. And then I had fun stuff to take to work and share with my friends and, and coworkers. And, and, you know, that whole mindset of, of how toxic my day job was, I didn't really realize it until I found somebody to detox with, you know, cause I was, I was running on that, on that uh, treadmill in the rat cage and doing part of the rat race, right? <laughs> going to work every day, doing my thing, being a project manager, working in corporate America. Uh, <clears throat> some of the projects were interesting. Some were not, some were beneficial to patients. Some probably were not, but it was, that's sort of what, what you do for a living kind of thing. And, and, you know, you don't really get perspective on that till you do something else. And so what really helped me decide to quit was just realizing how toxic my life was because of that job. And, why am I doing things that stresses me out instead of the thing that I love? So now I do the thing that I love. Not totally. I mean, like I'm still, I made a batch of sauce today. I'm working on something new. Uh, and that was very relaxing and I enjoyed it. But obviously selling hot sauce is what pays the bills. But making hot sauce doesn't pay shit. That's just, but it's mental health. You get good mental health out of that, right? Stirring a kettle is fun. So, you know, little quart batches and it's a tough one. I'm trying to chip. I got a lot of chipping away to do. I'm not still not sure what direction it's going, but there's a couple challenging ingredients. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, uh, it's, it's, it sounds yeah. like, uh, you're definitely, you sound kind of like a mad scientist kind of in a way about it. Totally. Cause it's like, 100%. It's, it's like, it's like you're saying, you know, you lift like your toxic day job and not this like, I'm not saying that what you're doing now is anything toxic, but you're into something like so hectic and crazy as well. Like making sure it's fun making hot sauce, but going to the market and having nine different varieties and making sure you have enough and selling all day and having the energy that you have right now. Like, I mean, you do like a ton of, like how many markets a week do you do a ton? Right, right now I only do two. I was doing nine a week. I had yeah, seven crazy. that I did myself <laughs> and I had two that an employee did. And, uh, yeah, the, the, when I was doing seven a week, my, I was doing Saturday, Sunday, uh, the two big ones at Grand Lake, Oakland and Marin Civic Center. Then I had two a day on Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday morning was a Kaiser Hospital Farmers Market. And Tuesday, I think Tuesday night was a San Leandro night market. And then I did a Wednesday night market. And I had one in the morning and one at night on Thursday. And then I had Friday off. So that was nuts. That was when I really felt like I needed to make a big push. And, you know, the thing was I did the math. And at the end of the day, I was spinning my wheels a lot for not a whole lot of, of return. I got a lot. I was a good evangelist, right? Like, no, no marketing is wasted. Everything you do to get your sauce into a new person's face hole is a good thing, right? But when the juice just isn't worth the squeeze on doing an 11 hour day and sometimes it rains and you come home with 50 bucks in your pocket and you're like, Jesus Christ, I just spent 11 hours to make 50 bucks. It's just not worth, no, I needed the 50 bucks. I still need the 50 bucks, don't be wrong. <laughs> but I don't need it enough to go stand in the rain for 11 hours at two different markets. It's just not worth it. I, well, I, I got yelled at by market We have to quote that like, Sometimes the juice ain't worth the squeeze. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like that's that's dropping bombs of knowledge and just true <laughs> experience too. Because yeah, I imagine like you're you're in an area where there's a lot of opportunities, a lot of markets. So you can bust your ass, you can grind away every day, multiple markets every day. But 
is it worth it when do you i mean is it a loss or um is it to the point where it's just not as fun doing some of those smaller markets it's kind of see all the above i mean there's even with employees like i had a couple per, couple employees at one point they're doing two markets a piece and so yeah it's great to expand your footprint and get those extra four markets in because i was able to have one in the peninsula at college san mateo Ooh. one down in uh uh, Redwood City, there was a markets so that gave, gave me two really nice peninsula locations. I had somebody at Jack London Square and uh, what was this Saturday? Oh, and, and Hayward on Saturdays while I did Oakland and San Rafael Saturday and Sunday. And so it was nice having that coverage of the Bay Area. But, you know, the seasonality that comes into play for farmers markets and the stress of managing people. And now I have really good people working for me. So that was minimized. But it's still, you got to make sure they have their sauce. You got to make sure we got enough change. You got to make sure that, you know, everything is accounted for and that the equipment's okay. And that, you know, you don't leave your person high and dry with a busted tent 70 miles away while you're in, in Oakland and there in yeah. San Mateo. So there was a lot of stuff besides just them doing the market that, that created more work. And when you look at the seasonality of it in the wintertime, it just really isn't worth it. You're kind of breaking even on your employees and to have employees in California is already another nightmare where, yeah. You know, I'm not just like, I believe in fair compensation. So I paid, this was three or four years ago and I paid 15 an hour plus oh, wow. gave them four to six bottles a week to trade. So they that's could go lot. around the market and that's, you know, 60 bucks in trade for farmer's market stuff, roughly, yeah. you know, 50 something. So market vendors trade stuff for stuff. Mm -hmm. If the bottle's nine bucks and they've got nine bucks for the produce that they're going to call that a good trade or maybe eight for nine. It doesn't have to be an exact to the penny even yeah. thing for a barter. But I always found that was some of the employees like was, was being able to go trade and it spreads the sauce around the market too. So I, I like the promotion aspect of it too. And uh, they got gourmet stuff, which was a nice perk to their market day. And I also paid them for an hour, set up an hour breakdown that covered their, their bridge toll and they're getting to the market and back. And so they got paid for a four hour market or a five hour market. They'd get paid six or seven hours plus their trade stuff. And so, you know, it's, it's tough because you want to pay a really fair wage, but you also want to make money doing a yeah. farmer's market. And the whole idea of having employees working for you is you matriculate out and get those get a little extra money creeping in. And just in the summer, yeah, it was gangbusters. In the winter, it was kind of weak, just because winter markets are slower typically. And and again, they were working. There's only so many big farmers markets, right? And so that's tough. And like you said, the burnout quality. You don't want to burn yourself out. Uh, I hit that a few years ago when I was doing seven markets a week, and, and I just did all the math and said, you know, it's just not worth it. The extra, whatever. And then having employees in California, again, another aspect is the workers' comp, uh, where insurance is expensive. And to have employees working for you, you can 1099 them, and then they're responsible for paying their own taxes. And I might think about doing that in the future. But at the time, I was paying two grand a year for workers' comp insurance. And that's great because it goes, the policy is like, you know, one to 20 people is this price. And then yeah. 21 to 40 people or 50 people is that. Well, if you're a big company, you got four, five. Yeah, if you got 20 people and you're paying two grand, that's yeah. fine. If you got two people, it's not really a great deal, right? So, <laughs> you know, um, unless they hurt themselves and it pays for itself, but you don't, you don't want that. Uh, so, so now I have no employees. The, the pandemic kind of kicked the farmer's markets in the nuts a little bit where they were, they dropped for 16 months. We couldn't do any sampling out there. And uh, we dropped 30, 40%. Uh, and right off the bat, we dropped like 70% cratered. When the pandemic first hit and it was blowing up and people were dying in droves, it was a problem. So nobody wanted to come out and, you know, we implemented really early on my market org was at the forefront working with the health department to put in COVID rules so we could have social distancing and we'd have a, a barrier between the booth and the customer with a rope across the front of the booth. 
and no touching of product by customers. And I couldn't sample to anybody. And, you know, for 16 months, I did that. And it was tough. It came back. Stuff started, people started getting vaccinated. People who knew to wear masks and wash their hands all the time and keep their social distancing. It worked out pretty well. It was still, you know, it kept me paying rent. So thank God <coughs> that we never closed. Uh, but it was definitely challenging. And even when it crept back, we were able to do sampling finally after 16 months. And the first week I did sampling again, I realized how miserable, again, that perspective thing, how, how rotten of an experience of not sampling for 16 months, where I would tell people about 10 or 12 or 14 sauces. You think it's hard selling 13 sauces? Try selling 13 sauces without a sample. Yeah. That's even harder. <laughs> That's, let me tell you all about these 12 sauces. Wait, 12, 14. Well, luckily, then I had 11. I just made two more. But but still, it was a lot of work. And I'd come home with, you know, needing throat lozenges every weekend. And uh, it was a bitch. That was really tough. Plus, me, I was miserable. You know, that was the other half of it is I was bur burned out on just doing markets without sampling because I got no joy out of it. And the first market that came back where I could sample again, and the first group of like four or five people that, that I took on a little tour, their own little personal hot ones, and they all lit up and were busting ass on each other and making fun of each other. I was laughing and they were laughing. We were all having fun. And I realized, wow, that is the joy that has been missing in this the whole time, that shared experience of sampling sauce and seeing people enjoy what you created. And that puts me on a high and gets me all fired up for the next customer and getting to go out and work the next market. And, you know, 10 years I've been doing farmer's markets and I'm still not burned out. The only time I came close was when I couldn't do sampling. And so now sampling's back and, you know, people are getting, we, we're in California, we have a high level of vaccinated people. So we have a lot of people at the market coming in groups again. And so that helps. Uh, I'm still careful. I still wear a mask every day, wash my hands all the time. Remember a few years ago before the pandemic when we like make jokes about OCD people yeah, washing their hands 30 would, times a day? Yeah, that's yep. that's us now. Yeah, that's everybody. With the little hand sanitizers on their pockets, everyone's making They all got their little revenge. Yeah, they're all exactly. having the last lap. Every one of those yeah, OCD motherfuckers. Ready to go. The next thing you know, we're going to be the ones checking the light switch 30 times. Yeah. <laughs> not, not to poke fun at the mentally challenged no, OCD no. A couple I mean, of things. First thing, shout out to the farmer's market at College of San Mateo. I used to go to school at the College of San Mateo. Super awesome. I did as well. Oh, I let's go. Play. Let's go Bulldogs. I'm alone, yes. Uh, second thing, you said it. So you used to give, you mentioned hot ones. So the one that was, your sauce that was on hot ones was the year of the dog, right? It was. How did that go? Because you were on there super early, like very early. Uh, season nine, yeah. There's season 15 now. So I was on there like in my sixth year and in there. They do two seasons a year, so in their fifth year, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was crazy. I uh, I won. 2018 truly was the year of the dog, man. That was that was the Asian calendar year. I was born in 70, the, so I am a year of the dog myself. Let's go. And uh, I had entered the Scoby Awards every year since I started my company. And the first year, I completely skunked. Didn't win anything. I had three sauces. Didn't even take a third place. The but I won in Texas that year, so I didn't I didn't freak out. Uh, I just know the Scobies are hard to win. And the second and third and fourth year, I had won seconds and thirds in a bunch of categories. And I only entered, you know, five or seven products a year. It's not like I'm living large and in charge, can throw $5,000 at contest entries. That's just not a couple hundred bucks here and there for the marketing effort is what I go for. Uh, and so that year, uh, I had the year before the end of the festival, I was joking with the show manager, Emily, who runs the thing. Super nice gal. I don't know what the title is, but she's great. Emily's great. And I was joking that, you know, I just don't think the New Mexico judges like my my style of sauce. I doubt I'm ever going to win a first. I've been there for six years, never won a first place. <clears throat> and they said, oh, just keep entering. You'll do fine. We have different judges every year. You never know. 
keep entering. I'm like, all right, well, I'll keep it small next year. So I only entered five things. I entered you're the dog, uh, or four products in five categories. You're the dog. I think, uh, brown label. Uh, what else did I enter that year? Uh, green label. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think black label. And I entered those sauces in five categories, four hot sauce categories. And you're the dog in, uh, the cook it up division too, with a recipe for a marinade, a, a Thai chili pineapple hot sauce with tequila and, and prawns and a simple recipe, lime, hot sauce, uh, tequila. And that was it. I had to send a little extra money for tequila. I remember that, <laughs> but, uh, I got the call when I was standing at a farmer's market on a Thursday in Marin back when I used to do that Thursday market. And, uh, she said, you know, I wanted to call you first. Uh, you're never going to believe it. Remember last year when you were joking about it, you're, you're never going to win a first. I said, yeah, so that's all you won this year. So when on four products, I won five first places. I actually won six awards on five products because I won five first places and the grand prize for tasting. So you're the yeah, dog. Yeah, beat everything. You beat every hot sauce, barbecue sauce, pepper butter, spice rub, drink mix, candy, snack, condiment, jerky, uh, chips, barbecue sauce, everything. It beat all, it beat everything. Like, every category, every highest scoring thing. So I want to barbecue for that. That was cool. And I, I told my employee at the time, City, who worked for him for years, I said, ah, it just doesn't get any better than this. This is the greatest thing I'm ever going to do. And about six months later, I, I talked to the guys at Eatonist who I'd been working with for years. I sold hot sauce to them many years ago. And uh, Noah said, oh, you're back in five ounce bottles. I didn't know that. Well, you know, let's talk about hot ones. And I was like, he called me up and I said, all right, all right let's talk about hot ones. And he said, so, you know, we're, we'd like you to submit some samples and you're the dog clearly just won a big award. Let's get a sample of that. Let's get a sample of green, Rocky, knock it off. Get a sample of green label for sauce number two, maybe, and a sample pizza peach for sauce number six, maybe. And I said, sure. I packed them up and sent them in and, and they said, all right, well, we're going to need dog. Hey, knock it off. <laughs> he likes to try to go into his dog crate and dig a hole to the basement where he thinks there's another secret dog crate or something <laughs> that he can hang out. I don't know why he does this. It's, it's the breed. Anyway. So, uh, I heard back about eight days later after some samples that, Hey, you know, we, we sent your sauces into complex and along with however many others for category two, category four, category six that they're replacing. And, uh, they really liked all of them. So if you had your choice, which one would you get on the show? I saw it's you're the dog. That's my favorite right now. I won grand prize. I want to get the label out a little love because a good friend of mine painted the label. And, uh, they said, okay, so, you know, we're not positive yet, but if once we get the word, you're going to need to get us, I think it was 14,000 bottles of sauce in five weeks. Can you do that? I was like, let me check with my kitchen. Let me check with my logistics companies and everything checked out. And I called him back and said, sure, no problem. They said, great. Now the last hurdle is we're going to need, they called me the next day. said, great. Last hurdle is we're going to need, uh, eight bottles of year of the dog. Like right when we order, you, you need to put eight bottles in the mail to us so that we can get them on the show. Cause we for, you know, the, the subscriptions go out at the time I was, <laughs> I was in eight and a half ounce bottles and they needed eight, five ounce bottles. And I was like, uh... what the fuck am I going to do? I don't need five ounce bottles. So I pulled some shenanigans out of my ass. I had, I ordered some glass. I actually went down to a glass company in San Leandro and told them I needed samples. And they gave me a case of glass for samples. hoping I would order from, which I might do at some point. Um, <laughs> and then I hit my label company up and said, Hey, how much would you charge me to do a run? Cause remember eight and a half pounds bottles, yeah. that bigger label. So what would you charge me to do a run of smaller labels? I said, well, let me check your file. We always keep retention samples 
maybe we'll get lucky. And sure enough, they had one sheet, oh. like a test sheet of labels with eight labels on it. Or maybe it was nine. I think it was three rows of three. So they had nine labels, all on one, uncut on one sheet. And uh, I was like, I'll take it. I'll take it. So I went, drove down there, got that from them, went, went on Amazon, bought it some shrink bands, and cracked open a couple eight-ounce bottles and put it in a saucepan to heat up. And in my own kitchen, I hot-filled eight bottles, manually cut the eight labels out, slapped them on the bottles, and took a blow dryer and borrowed a blow dryer. Clearly, I don't need a blow dryer. I have a Mohawk. <laughs> I, I borrowed a blow dryer from a friend, and I'm doing the shrink bands on my kitchen counter. I packed them up USPS, got them there with like one day to spare before filming. Because uh, if they didn't get them, I wouldn't have gotten on the show. So the sauce you see on Hot Ones was not a production sauce. It was made, I repackaged it in my own kitchen to make a fake batch of eight five ounce bottles. So the ones that are on That's all, all the- That's a hell of a hurdle. Yeah, yeah, so the ones that are on all the episodes, those are the ones that you made in your house? Hand the bottle you see on the episode of Hot Ones, not, the stuff they ate was eight ounce bottles. Yeah, was, yeah. Now there's nothing, it was all safe. I hot filled it, it was totally. fine, I just reheated it. But uh, the one you see on camera, what they made the wings with was big eight ounce bottles. Yeah. I sent a few of those too. and left a note that said, hey, when you make the wings, Use these just for safety. <laughs> so they could have used the smaller ones, but uh, the ones you see on the show, the ones you see in the lineup that are unopened, those were repackaged in my own kitchen. <laughs> that is so awesome. What a story for behind how was that is. Uh, you have an exclusive on that story. I've never told that story before. Badass. Let's man. go. Very, very I love cool. that. So I love that's that. some pressure to get, you know, 14,000 bottles. I heard to date if people are getting on the show it's upwards to forty thousand bottles and i have to ask that you have to have your own facility or is this a co-packing because that's insane i'm doing no, I, have, I have a co-pack right a lot of the people on the show have a co-pack it's what i heard was about two thousand case orders so that's around twenty four thousand. so it depends on the sauce but you know and they might want you to make more or less for them uh depends on the hobbit subscription and where they're at and i know that they have you know the subscription goes long be it's two, basically two subscription boxes covered with six new sauces on the show, right? And then they'll usually sprinkle in one of the Karma sauces, the the one or the five or the the last app from Bucker Butt. They'll, they'll sprinkle that into some of the subscriptions too. Um, like Chrome was an exclusive for Hedonist and went out as part of the Hot One subscription. So mm-hmm. that was a 12,000 bottle order. And yeah, my co-packer's dynamite. I love my co-packer. I, I couldn't do what I do without having a really good kitchen. I had one in Sonoma. They were great. They got really successful with their own product. They had a, a pasta sauce line, and basically they had two production lines: one for five ounce bottles and one for quart jars for pasta. And they got into Costco and they blew up nationally in Costco. And they needed to basically kick everybody out and reconfigure their second line for pasta sauce as well. And so we were doing about six, about six months to find our own place. And so I lost. I know Humble Hot Sauce was there, and a few others were making sauce there that I know, but. Uh, got really lucky, found a referral. Uh, there was a kitchen in NorCal who gave me these insane prices and things like, you know, things that drive me nuts. Again, as a project manager, I dealt with a lot of supply chain, a lot of efficiency stuff. I worked in pharmacy material services for a while. And so inefficiencies make my just my blood <laughs> boil. So that's just the, the PM in me. And I'll never shake this. And so they're quoting me these insane prices. And I was like, what? Why is like, wow, your onions are killing you. Like, what do you mind? My city is the onion capital of the fucking world. It's 20, 200 miles away. What the fuck is wrong with you? Buy, <laughs> buy onions here? Oh, no. We're getting julienne onions from New Jersey, individually quick frozen. So they're paying for pre-sliced, frozen at minus 40, flash frozen onions bag. Now, I'm like, why? 
why the fuck would you do that? Oh, well, you know, we don't want a pair of people to sit around chopping onions. Oh, so you just want to pass all that price on to me then. That's so your laziness is going to be my expense is what you're telling me. So I said, screw that. And one of the folks working there who I'd been working with, you know, basically said to me, look, I think, I think they quoted you those prices because you're not a big enough company and they really want to work with gigantic companies. So they get one PO a month and that pays for their whole, how many of those do they get? Just all none. Like, okay. So they want to be out there like, you know, Moby Dick, they're chasing the white whale all the time. And meanwhile, customers like me who are going to produce thousands and thousands of bottles a year, and they have no interest in me. So she ended up referring me to a, someone she used to work with who had a, a facility down in Irvine and uh, a few of the places up north as well, up here in the Bay Area, won't do local sourcing. I'm in farmer's markets. I have to locally source. And it's part of my philosophy as a company is I'm a California brand. I expect people to support me. I should support California companies. So we have farmers here and great produce and it's a little more expensive than buying peppers from Mexico and spices from China and India and whatever. But I'm sure glad I went that route because, you know, once the supply chain issue started, you know, back, people complain about it a lot now because of COVID, but people are sort of conveniently forgetting most of the supply chain should started with the tariffs. So trade wars were not good or easy to win. So it fucked up glass for a lot of people. It fucked up produce for a lot of people. It fucked up dry spices for a lot of people. Because all of a sudden, a 40% tariff is getting slapped on your dried peppers or on your cumin or on your whatever. And, you know, that's a huge increase in price. And so by locally sourcing, I was spared. I, that was like transparent to me. I was spared from all of that. I never had a single supply chain issue because I sourced from places that bring their produce to the, the LA produce terminal. And so it's a little ironic to make my sauce, to source it locally, I have to make it 300 miles away. So, you know, other than that, it's working out pretty good. It's still California. Do you get your garlic from uh, Gilroy? Some, yeah. Uh, some we get from people in Ohio and places like that because it's a little closer to the kitchen. So in addition to, to locally sourcing, I also like to keep a, a small ecological footprint, keep the carbon weight low. And so the, the shorter of a distance somebody's got to get put in a truck and get to my kitchen, the better it is. And so, you know, there's there's a one-shot expense for the carbon where they got to palletize and ship up from Irvine to Hayward to where I have a warehouse space. But uh I'd rather have, you know, that's going to be in the cards anyway, right? Yeah. So I'd rather not have that plus, you know, onions from New Jersey, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm curious, which one out of all the ones that you make, like which one is, I don't want to say your favorite, but you tend to like use or eat the most, do you think? So most recently, it's, most recently it's Chrome and it's uh, El Pedro Fortunato. And it's a coincidence, it's the two newest ones. But they are both just effing delicious. The, I'm a picante sauce guy, and I always, I had my picante for a couple of years, and I hated it. So when I reformulated it, I was really thrilled with. I put like a lot of soul into reformulating it because I felt like it was kind of a soulless sauce for a while. It was way too sharp. It wasn't didn't have the depth that most of my sauces had. It, it won my, an award. I can't complain too much. It was okay, but it just it didn't speak to me as a great sauce. And so I reformulated, I've worked with cayenne mash and fresh basilla and added orange juice and New Mexico red chili and kind of blew it up into a much more complex and savory and dynamic sauce. It just, it's near and dear to my heart from what I grew up with. I wanted to make something that was like a salsalita, like a, what they bring you out in the mocajete when you go to one of the mm -hmm. Mexican family sit down style restaurant dinners. And yeah. You've got that fresh ground red sauce with the, the pepper fire roasted tomato in it and stuff. And, and so... 
you know, one of my customers recently described it as Obama's fuck version, a Gourmet's fuck version of Taco Bell fire sauce. Now, I was not mad about that because that's the only sauce Taco Bell has that isn't booty. But, you know, it's I think it's a lot better than that. But I'm going through like a bottle a week of that. And I'm I'm going through about a bottle a week of the Chrome, too. It's becoming problematic. I'm eating my all my profits on Chrome and, and Alparo Fortunato. But red is near and dear to my heart. That's my original. I do use a lot of red, too. Uh, black might be on the list, too. It depends on pairings, right? Yeah. Like, I could probably say any of my sauces, depending on what I'm eating. So if I'm eating pizza, Red Label's coming out for sure, because it's my favorite on Italian food. It's just a really nice sweet It doesn't have too many distinctive flavors in it uh, that make it stand out on something like that's already got a lot of flavor like pizza. Mm. I've already got some with pepperoni and bell pepper and sausage. I want to taste those things. But adding a little sweet heat to it without the sugar of a sriracha, Red Label works great. If I'm having fish tacos or oysters, Give me my black label because that fresh seasonal scorpion, a drop of that on a fish taco, on an oyster, or a, 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 a slather of it on a fish taco, that's going to be perfect. And I'm not going to overpower the seafood with it, but I'm still going to get like the heat of a scorpion pepper a little bit. So I love the original black label for that reason. And then if I'm doing some like wings, shit, bust out the hellhound, bust out the black special reserve. You know, the chipotle is coming to play for various dishes. But so pairing is always important. What's your favorite sauce is impossible to answer off. I'll talk to you yeah. for an hour just about that. But what's your favorite sauce on blank? Don't say chicken, because that, again, that's an hour. But <laughs> specific food, yeah, I mean, I can easily name a sauce. But And I guess, like, outside of yours or, like, outside of the small batch community, like, I guess I'm talking, like, in big brands, like, what are your favorite sauces or condiments? Well, small batch, I've got tons of favorites, too. Mm-hmm. I don't want to – it's hard for me to list those because I'll go on again. You'll, you don't have three hours to talk to me about that, and I'll just go on and on and on. I'll say this, the sauce that was before me on my season of hot ones, the number three sauce on season nine called Chupuandas, that, uh-huh. whatever that label was, the original Chupuandas that was on there, was that is my favorite label, sauce. Right? What was it? It was a blue label, right? I can't remember it was blue. It wasn't the red. It wasn't, I think it was an orange label on it. I think it had the orange. It was not the umami. That's a good sauce too. Everything I've had from Chupuandas is great, but the one that was on season nine, sauce number three, that's the best sauce I've ever had that I don't make. That's I really think that's awesome. good to know, man. That's like my favorite hot sauce, not mine. Um, is it the curry one? I did. I I don't remember if it had curry in it or not. I just can't remember. I can't remember. Look at hot one season nine. That's what sauce I'm, I'm, three. I'm looking at. It. Heatness, yeah. It showed me the. It was like a green label. It says it's a, it's a West Indian curry sauce. That's the one. That's yeah. a great, great, great yeah. sauce. That's one that has like you're eating and you're like, oh, this is kind of a mild cayenne. And halfway through, like. Ooh, this is like creeping up a little on me. And then, but the flavor, it just, even if you're full, you want to order another dish so you can pour more on it. I think I killed a half a bottle on a three taco plate. That just, just crushed it. That's a lot of sauce. I just kept pouring more and more and more. It's a completely addictive sauce. Of the big brand stuff. Yeah, like, well, like uh, yeah, what are you going to the big brand stuff? Is there a big brand sauce that I can, that I like? There has to be. There's, there's always one. Like, there's always- I mean, look, Valentina, I've got a bottle of Valentina in my yeah. cabinet right now. I I've had one in my cabinet since I was six years old. So clearly I like Valentina. Mm-hmm. The black label Valentina is good shit. Um, and then I'm not a huge original Tabasco fan. I've always thought it was a little bitter and funky tasting. But on certain foods, if I go out for like, you know, Creole food or something, bust out the Tabasco. So it fits with that profile. That bitterness works. But they put out uh, the Verde and the Chipotle. Mm-hmm. And the Chipotle is actually pretty tasty. I, I think they made the Chipotle for Chipotle restaurant, if memory serves. Oh. Uh, that was a partnership. And that's why I ended up in all the Chipotle restaurants. But that that's a pretty bomb little Chipotle sauce. I'm not a big fan of 
a lot of the chipotle sauces because they use uh, Merida chipotle. Mm. Uh, I make two chipotle sauces. They both have meco chipotles, which are smoked like twice as long as the Merida. So it smokes out a lot of that red jalapeno vibe. But of the Merida chipotle sauces, Tabasco, it just really works in that Tabasco sauce. For a thin sauce that's got that funky bitterness, they did it right with the chipotle in there. That was, that was a good pairing. Sick, dude. I guess what I'm, I'm also curious to learn from you is like, if you were to go back to year one, year two, Scott, like what would you tell yourself as far as like start making it, a, taking it from like, I have the product now, like business-wise, like what, what kind of things would you be doing? So I think right off the bat, I would have more confidence in what to charge for my product. Yeah. Uh, and by that, I mean, I worked with a small distributor at first and you know, somebody introduced people and said, oh, we need to work with a distributor and blah, blah, blah. And he had a little warehouse. So I rented space from him and I worked with him and you know, he kind of sat me down and said, all right, so, you know, if we're going to sell this, I've got these stores and you had maybe 15 or 20 stores. It was really small just starting up, but he kind of felt like he knew everything. And he said, well, here's the formula. He said, so you want to be on the shelf at like $6.99 a bottle. I think back then he said $5.99 a bottle. And so then you work backwards from there and the store gets 35, 40%. And then I get like, you know, 25, 30%. And then you get whatever's left between what it costs you to make it. And, you know, and that. And I'm making like 38 cents a bottle. I'm like, this is fucking whack. But, but, you know, I'm listening to him and that's how you do it and whatever. And meanwhile, I'm selling it at the farmer's market for the price that he kind of thought was that target shelf price. And then I started doing festivals. And when I did that New York hot sauce, I saw people selling sauce for eight, nine, 12, 15 bucks a bottle. I mean, fuck it, it's your product. You can put whatever price tag on it you want. And it's what the market will bear, right? So it doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, that targeted demographic is I'm not Tabasco. I'm not running out a big corporate sauce where I can bust out 50,000 bottles of it and make 38 cents a bottle and still make a good living at that. You gotta, you gotta sell a shitload of sauces to make any kind of living at 38 cents a bottle. That's almost impossible. <laughs> and I found it was impossible. I was losing money for a year. And after about a year, I ended up kicking the guy to the curb and finding a different warehouse spot and just said, you know what, fuck this. I'm going to say my sauce costs this to produce. I need to make this margin. What are the fucking store sells it for is the store's business. And we'll see what their margin is and where my final price is. And yeah, it lands on store shelves at $8.99, spent $9.99. It sells. People buy it. They know I'm not Tabasco. And that's the thing is, you know, me, Scott, today would tell me, Scott, back then, you are not competing with Tabasco. Tabasco makes a, a Honda and you make a Porsche. And there's a big market for Hondas. There's a lot of people that want to go in and buy Tapatio for a buck seventy-nine a bottle. And they know what they're going to get because <laughs> that Tapatio is there. It's been there for them all the time. It's not going to change. There's my Tapatio. It's a buck seventy-nine. Bam! That's what I want to have with my enchiladas tonight. But if you are a Porsche customer, maybe you're going to reach for that top shelf hot sauce, and you're going to be willing to spend four, five, six, seven, eight, nine bucks a bottle. But that's up to the consumer. There's always a category of consumer that's going to buy a more gourmet brand product, and I feel like I produce a more gourmet brand product. And look, I, I like I said, I source locally. Right off the bat, I can't compete with any of those bottom shelf products because. <laughs> yeah, you look at Buffalo from Mexico at a dollar twenty nine. Yeah, I pay a dollar twenty nine just for the peppers in one bottle. I yeah. can't. How am I going to sell it at that and make a profit? It's impossible. But we're not the same. That's not you know they're different animals. They got a zebra. I got a lion. It is what it is. And if you want to go buy a zebra, you know what your budget is. You want to go buy. You got to spend a little more money on the lion. I don't recommend keeping African safari pets uh, in your backyard. By the way, not just the big dogs. Off the bat, yeah, off the bat. But so that was. That's the biggest thing. I've thought about that. I've been asked that before. As you can tell, it's, this is not the first time I've answered that question. Uh, the first time was actually when I was on a call with uh, uh, Intuit, 
because I had a couple of corporate events in their atrium. So as a little farmer's marketing mm -hmm. thing. And once the pandemic hit, they held a couple of online events for me and they did a lot of hot ones with their CEO and their CFO. And that was a question the CFO asked me was what, you know, what would you go back and do again? And, and he seemed to like that answer. So I feel like it's a good answer. You know, it's, it's, you got to know your value. You got to know, be confident in what you sell. And if people taste it and like it and think you're worth $9 a bottle, there you go. They're going to buy it for $9 a bottle. If they balk at it, maybe you got to go back and drop it down to eight fifty or $7.99 or whatever and, and get comfortable with whatever the market will bear. But so far, I've received very little pushback. Ironically, the biggest pushback I ever got was when I went from $8 a bottle at the farmer's market to eight fifty, and the, the weekend I did that, I did that for one fucking weekend. And that weekend, almost every single customer said, keep, you know, keep the change. I had a, a roll of quarters in my pocket, which is the biggest pain in the ass in the world. Uh, trying to deal with change, you know, change, change. And uh, a couple of people straight up told me, I just wish you'd make it nine because this sucks. I don't want fucking quarters. So they would either overpay me or criticize me because I didn't just have the balls to go from eight to nine. So oh, I said, fuck it. I made a new price sign. I went out the next weekend, sold it for nine. And everyone said, right on, good for you. Here's nine bucks. So they were complaining the price was too low, sort of. You know? <laughs> and, <laughs> well, it, and it's probably a lot more difficult to scale upwards rather than like, let's just say, if you have a high dollar, you can scale down yeah. easier rather than it's like you start at five and you go, fuck it. Realistically, I need to charge eight even make a cent on this <laughs> backlash rather than, you know, setting your, your, um, your price and just being confident in that. I mean, yeah, this is your product. You got to make a living. Um, you got to call the shots on that. So I can donate you for that. That's awesome. And, you know, in addition, I do a bulk discount. So it also encourages more bulk sales mm -hmm. where if I'm selling for eight, a bottle, uh, people would buy one bottle. If, I'm, if I say, Hey, you know, I do one for nine, two for 17. All of a sudden, oh, hell yeah, how much would three be? How much would five be? How much yeah. would and they know that I'm going to wheel and deal with them, make them a better deal. And so it gives you room to be flexible on your pricing for a bulk discount and still make a decent margin. So, you know, I do a case price and I remember I used to have another one. I would tell myself is, Hey schmuck, don't put your case price on the sign because you get guys like this. Some dude drives up in an $80,000 Tesla with a Rolex on comes to my booth. And I, this is all, 100% true. I watched him pull up when I pulled up. I watched, he came to my booth. He did have a Rolex on. Uh, he says, uh, hey, so how much is this? These are really good. He tried a few. And I said, you know, well, there's the price sign. And he looked at it. He said, he said, all right, what if I want these two? I said, well, it's right on the sign. You know, one's nine, two, 17. Oh, okay. Well, would you take, you know, 650 for a bottle? I said, no. Why would I do that? He says, well, on the sign, it says you got a case price. And that works out to 650 a bottle. I said, are you buying a case? And the guy goes, no. I'm like, then your price is fucking, you know, $8 a bottle. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? Of course, that's a case price. Oh, oh, you know, but, you know, that mentality of trying to beat me up on the yeah. pricing because he sees what my bulk yeah. discount is going to be. But he's completely missing the point of the bulk discount, right? <laughs> so you get those guys too. You know, it is what it is. So now I just have a price sign that says one bottle, two bottle, four bottle, and then anything else we'll talk about, you know. And so if you're nice to me, you might get an extra dollar or two off. If you're a dick, you maybe go. you won't. I'm just saying that that keeps me a little flexible too. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's again, man, I think you're, you're definitely like one of the farmer market killers out there. You crush it. You're out there all the time. I guess like what I know you're making like a couple new sauces. Like, is there anything else we should expect from you? Like other new things, like other events maybe, or collaboration? So events are tough because of the panorama. You know, it's, it's we just had our county fair. <laughs> And so it was truncated to 10 days instead of 18. We had a short hour fair where instead of going 11 and a half hours a day, we went Monday through Friday was only six and a half hours. Saturday and Sunday were 11 and a half. 
So the fair in 2019, the last poll we did, it was 207 hours of fair sales. And this year it was 73 hours. So it's a huge difference. Uh, but hourly, calculating the hourly rate, I did 20% more this year than I did hourly in 2019. So people came out to support, even though it was a smaller event. Uh, I've got Albuquerque coming up, you know, God willing, February, March. We don't have another surge or another variant. And they hold that event. I will be driving to Albuquerque and taking the, you know, that's sort of my trip to Mecca every every year to go out and be among my people in the chili world and and see my customers that I don't see for, you know, very often out there. Uh, I love my booth spot. I love driving through the desert. I like driving. It's meditative to me. I don't answer my phone for a week, basically. So it's sort of a working vacation. So I go out through Albuquerque. You have great food out there. <clears throat> so I'll see my peeps and uh, fling some sauce and come home hopefully a little more profitably than I left. Uh, that's the next big event. After that, hopefully the fair is back in June, July again, because October kind of sucked. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, not a whole lot. I just entered a, a competition in England through the Clifton Chili Club for the first my first international competition. So we'll right. see how, I, how how my products hold up in the Pepsi Challenge against the British products and Irish and everybody else that enters. I know people from all over the world are going to be entering, but that'll be an interesting one. I, I just packed and shipped that box up today. I'm doing a big Black Friday promotion. So from Black Friday through a week before Christmas, I do free shipping on four-pack gift boxes. So I'll be uh, busy 10, 12, 14, 16 hours a day packing up gift boxes, I'm sure. I did last year. It was crazy. Uh, and so, you know, the pandemic, I don't want to say there's good things about the pandemic because the pandemic sucks ass. Yeah. But one good thing is that a lot of people that they had sort of barriers to online shopping, the last Luddites who were resistant. Yeah a credit card number and a computer there were a lot of people i was like 30 percent of the population that was terrified to shop online kind of broke down that last barrier for those people because they didn't have any fucking choice if they want to wipe their ass after they shit and buy some toilet paper they had to buy it online because there weren't none in the stores right so that'll break down barriers in a hurry you know uh nobody likes shitting and showering i'm just no. saying but i think that helped a little but it well, also helped. what was that oh to get geared up more for uh for march um a bourbon guy, a scotch guy, cigars. You got to give me a mindset because uh, I'm, I'm going to come pack. I'm a big cigar guy. I know I'm going to meet you. I'm going to meet a lot of other good people there. Uh, I want to figure out a good timeline for us. You know, bullshit, talk sauce, and sure. just hang, man. I am not a scotch guy. I am definitely a bourbon guy. I know it's a an acquired taste, but me, and Pete, me and Pete don't get along. I don't know what it is about that smoked Pete. I'm just He's not a fan. It's a very strong moldy flavor to me and i'm not down with it so god bless people who like good scotch i'm not one of them but bring me a big hundred dollar bottle of bourbon and i mean not you but in general <laughs> i'll put a dent in it for sure I, i'm a big fan of bookers uh bakers and basil hayden family that whole oh, yeah. family of premiums is, is delicious i gravitate towards the bookers because usually 120 is like Tastes like lighter fluid, and with them, it tastes smooth as silk. It's amazing. I don't know what wizard is making their bourbon, but it's fantastic. I recently had some High West that I really liked. I have a couple bottles of my. I did. I every birthday, people bring me bourbon. I can't remember what I have on hand, but I have a couple nice bottles of bourbon on hand. Uh, occasionally, I will smoke a good cigar. I'm not against that either. I like the cigarellos more than the big stogies. I get a little lightheaded on the stogies. It's way too much. I used to smoke cigarettes. Haven't smoked cigarettes and many 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 over two decades so a cigar would get me a huge buzz uh i used to hang out with friends and dip them in port wine and smoke them that way and that was fun uh but uh 
yeah, the new sauce is going to be fun. I'm working with a second beer for Drake's. They liked the first one a lot and asked me, you know, if I could mess around with another beer. They had their best selling beer. And we're meeting tomorrow, actually, at the brewery. And they're going to buy me a couple beers and send me home with a couple of six packs, maybe a case of, of one of their beers to play with. So I get some ingredients on the house. That's always fun. It's always fun to go to a brewery with the owner. You, you definitely, I'll need an Uber home from that, I'm sure. It is. Drake's, Drake's is, uh, I like Drake's in Oakland. It's, 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 it's a cool spot to be at. I love the place there. Um, oh, the car dealership, yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's super, super cool. Uh, yeah. I love that place. I guess this, um, this is always kind of like the way we kind of leave it off. So we always have this golden question that we kind of always ask the endings often. Let's say you're driving from- I'm not into the kinky stuff, pal. No, no, no. That's after. <laughs> Let's say you're driving from here to the, you know, you know the uh, to uh, New Mexico, and you're on your way. You need some gas. It's one, two in the morning. You're getting your gas, your coffee, your energy drinks, all the good stuff. What are three gas station items that you get almost every time you're at the gas station? All right, well, first, I'm old, so I break up the trip into two days because I don't like, you know, driving <laughs> nonstop is young man's game. I've done those trips back in the day. Now... I get up at a reasonable hour. I drive eight hours the first day. I drive six hours the second day. I stay in Flagstaff every year. It's a nice spot in Flagstaff. So uh, when I do gas up, uh, well, the three items I have to have for the road trip are going to be beef jerky, for sure. And since I'm usually going to wait till I get to Arizona to buy it, because I definitely prefer the carne seca style, the dry style beef jerky that, you know, sometimes it's shredded, sometimes it's whole pieces, whatever, as long as it's dry as fuck and I'm not paying for water, I'm a happy guy. And it's not that I'm cheap. I just don't like wet beef jerky. It's yeah. a personal preference. I grew up with carne seca. I had family members who made beef jerky and that's how they made it. It was super dry and like light and lean for backpacking. When you're backpacking, you watch the ounces, the pounds take care of themselves. <laughs> so I would, I hated like, uh, what's that, that, what's that brand? Uh, Ah, they the big, water injected. They got the Bigfoot in their commercial all the time. Can't, oh, Jack Dan- uh, not Jack Daniels. Uh, Jack Lynx. Jack Lynx. Jack Lynx. That's what it is. Can't stand it because it's like so much water in that beef. All of it's water weight. And it debugs me because it's just so much water. I like the really light, really lean. And a lot of times you get like, you know, chili verde seasoned or hatch chili flavored beef jerky in Arizona, New Mexico. So that's number one. Uh, number two is going to be the. Uh, what was it I had last time I was going through? It was uh, it was like a gummy chili pepper. So it's like a spicy gummy pepper that was mm. fucking great. It was a mild pepper. It was like mild. So for road trips, I love candy and shit like that. So unique stuff that I wouldn't find anywhere else. Yeah. I like that kind of stuff. And then the third item is I stopped at this one, you know, there's all the sort of Indian reservation stores <laughs> always. So I always end up buying uh, uh, the cheap Mexican blankets. And if I need one, which... Now I have a couple of good ones still, but I, I'll get a uh, a Baja because I'm an old stoner from the from the Ooh. 80s. So that Spicoli look is near and dear to me. Not, <laughs> not, not a poncho, mind you. Pon- People call them ponchos and it bugs the shit out of me. It's not a fucking poncho. I'm not wearing a carpet with a couple holes for arms <laughs> and, a, and a neck hole. That is a poncho. The Baja is a hoodie made by Mexicans. That's the difference. Yeah, those things are badass. Any I don't know if I can pull it sure. off. Any respectable stoner knows the difference between a Baja and a hoodie. So when you say, hey, nice Baja, or nice hoodie, or, or no, excuse me, a Baja and a poncho, 
say, hey, nice poncho. I'm like, you fucking dumbass. But, you know, whatever. Each their own. At least they said, at least they said something nice. They didn't say, fuck you, you look like shit. So, yeah, I, well, I still rock the balls. And I'll get, like, the Mexican blankets. My dogs love them. And so, you know, they're great. They're eight bucks when you buy three. And in the wintertime, I'll wash them, throw them in my bed. But I usually just throw them around the house, and the dogs will lay around on them. Because so, it's cold, and they like they like the blanket, and I don't want them. Like I said earlier, messing up my bed playing grab ass. So those are the three <laughs> things: the Mexican blankets, the beef jerky, and whatever funky candy I can find. And one year it was spicy that uh, like a funky taco flavored combos that I'd never seen before. I think it's only like an Arizona, New Mexico thing. Ooh. You know those combos, like terrible toxic oh, ass yeah, crackers. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, they usually have pepperoni pizza and pretzel and whatever. Yeah, they have one that was like a. I think it was like a seven-layer dip Ooh. combo or something. Sounds terrible, but they were great. They were awesome. Well, I guess another odd question, more specific towards you, uh, top three dog breeds, because you are the lucky dog. I mean, what are your top three <coughs> dog breeds? Well, clearly Black Labs. I have one on my label. I love Black Labs. Lucky was a Black Lab. I had Lucky for 14 years. He was a awesome. frisbee dog. I could walk him off leash. He was smart as hell. He was really well-trained. I have two of the least well-trained dogs in the world right now, uh, <laughs> but they are two of my favorite breeds. One of them, one of them is a breed that no one should ever make. It's a a pit husky mix called a pitsky, and sometimes they come out great, and sometimes they come out like my dog. So she is stubborn like a husky, <laughs> and dumb as a stump like a pity. But she's all love. She's just the dumbest, most stubborn. She'll sit there. The front door is open. She's got a ball in front of her. Her food, her dish is full of food. She, hey, do you want to go out? No, she sits there. She'll sit there whining at me. Rawr, 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 just talking to me for no fucking reason. Like, do you want to play? Do you want a snack? Do you want this? No, that's what she wants to do is stand in front of me and whine at me. That, <laughs> that is her entertainment for the day. It's annoying as shit. The other one is the best mix I've ever had. And he was born across the street from you by accident. He is a uh, Border Collie American Bulldog. And American Bulldogs are like the big headed, lean on you, yeah. super affable, super lovey. And border collies are super smart, but by themselves, American bulldogs are great, but they're they're kind of lazy and and not like pities. They're not the smartest dogs in the world. Uh, whereas border collies are a little intense and they're way too smart, and they need their working dogs. They always need to be doing something, or they're they'll tear your house apart. Right? Yeah. You need to run them or do whatever you need to take them out. And I'm busy as shit, so I don't have time. I would never have a border collie lifestyle. It just is too much. Uh, but because of the American bulldog, it chills them out a little bit. So. He's mellow and tortures the the pit ski a lot, and they play grab ass a lot. But but he doesn't constantly need attention. He's got that affability of the bulldog, and he's got kind of a build like the bulldog with the black and white markings of the border collie, the asymmetrical face patterns. So <laughs> those are good breeds. So lab number one, that's a great breed. I like shepherds a lot, and then any I'd say any bulldog mix, whether it's a pity awesome, or American, Love or it. whatever, mix it with something else, make it fun, make it interesting. Both both my bulldog mix, I would. Look, I said she, I said she's dumb as a stump. I wouldn't trade her for the world. She's the greatest. Yeah, stump. no, of course. Yeah, big love. Totally. Yeah, big big happy love that just wants love and kisses and that's it. No, totally, dude. Let us know where whoever's listening to this, all of our fans could find some of your hot sauce. Where could we get it? So you can go to luckydoghotsauce.com. That's the easiest. Uh, on the site, there's a store locator. And it says where to find or stores or I forget what it says right now. I should know this. Uh, and if you put your address in there, it'll pop up a Google map and show you little fire flags of what is near you uh, and tell you how to get there all at once. Uh, you, obviously, you can order on the site if there's nothing close enough to you. In the Bay Area, you can go to both Berkeley Bowls for five different flavors. Ooh. Every cost plus market in the country right now has three flavors. They have 
Year of the Dog, uh, Brown Label, and Pizza Peach. That's 237 locations, I think. Uh, I'm in about 150 home goods stores. So some of them are hybrid Ross home goods or TJ Maxx home goods. And I've got two flavors in there, Pink Label and Year of the Dog. I, I couldn't tell you which ones because they have 400 stores and I have no idea which ones they've put them in. <laughs> uh, they, they've bought for me twice and they all go to different stores every time. So yeah. it would be a wasted. By the time I add them to my website, they're not in the stores anymore. So that would be dumb. Uh, places like uh, Alameda Natural Grocery, Castro Valley Natural Grocery, uh, Piedmont Market in Oakland has them. Uh, Oaktown Spice Shop has Heats of Peach in three locations, Albany, Castro Valley, and uh, uh, Oakland. Uh, and then the Center Fall Pacific Center Farmers Market on Sunday from eight to one, and the Grand Lake Oakland Farmers Market Saturdays nine to two. Say good, awesome man. That's a shit ton of places. I love it. Uh, so pretty much, if you're in the Bay Area, go in a store, check it out. If you're not, go online. We'll put the links up in the description. Scott, man, again, thank you for being on. This was super awesome, super helpful. Um, you're one of my favorite sauces. Me from the Bay Area, of course, I love it. Uh, you're always welcome anytime, man. Whenever you drop anything new, let us know. We're more than happy to have you on the chat oh, yeah. about it. I will be catching you in uh, in March, my friend. Let's do Let's it. See you in March. Oh, and by the way, the uh, chrome sauce that I made for Eatonist, you can get that one at all the Drake's locations. They have it in the Barrel House in San Leandro. They have it at the car dealership in Oakland. They sell and serve it. So you can, it's an exclusive, but you can get it from the markets, or you can get it at two local uh, barrier spots, or you can fly to Brooklyn and get it at Eatonist. <laughs> That's Sick. the most convenient, by the way. Sick, man. Right on, man. Again, Scott, thank you so much, brother. And then we'll catch you next time. Thank you again, man. Hey, appreciate you having me. Thanks, guys. Have a good one, boys. Peace.